It is great to be here at Portico Milton, and uh, always love coming out here. Want to welcome you today, and um, you know the. My name's Jeff, if you don't know, and I'm just one of the pastors over at the other, uh, you know, the other the other campus, and uh, we are always happy to come out and give Rick a break. Sometimes he needs a break, and I don't know why, but he must. So it's great. I love coming back. And we're in a series together. We're going to ask you to take out your Bibles. And uh, if, you, if you have a Bible, take that out. If you don't, I know that uh, we can probably loan you one. So if you need a Bible, I think our ushers are ready to help you with that. Lift your, lift your hand up nice and high. And if, if they see that, they're going to come and give you a Bible. And we'll, uh, we'll just offer that this morning. And also, you can grab your sermon notes. Uh, just cross Rick off the top there and uh, put my name in. Just like that. We'll just X him out. If you're, uh, if you're using your smart device, of course, you can go to our, our new Portico app, and uh, the notes for this week are there. So we want to just encourage you to follow along in that way. So we're, we're talking uh, about rules today, and I wonder how many of you have ever heard the term house rules? You ever heard that term before? House rules. Here's, here's how it works. House rules are really just, just a set of rules that apply for a specific location uh, or, you know, family, family, uh, family, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, whatever. Specific location. Like the rules at your house might be different from the rules at my house. And I remember, I remember as a kid growing up, my parents were, they were very strict. No, like, like I mean, really, really, really strict. We were listening to a guy talk yesterday about his upbringing, and he said basically it was like the Christian Taliban. Uh, right. So, so that's kind of, you know, my, my parents were really strict. Like, seriously, if Jesus didn't specifically say it was okay in the Bible, then we couldn't do it. So I remember crazy stuff. Mom, I want to play on the monkey bars. Nowhere did you ever read that Jesus played on the monkey bars in the Bible. Did you ever read that in the Bible? No, you didn't. So get down right now. Okay, maybe it wasn't quite that bad. But pretty, pretty strict still, just the same. So much so that I would love it when I would go to my, my friends' houses because their rules weren't as stringent as our house. We could do stuff there that I couldn't do at home, like you know, watch some of the cooler TV shows. Because at my house, if two people kissed on TV, or God forbid, even uttered a slightly vulgar word, my mother would gasp, effectively taking all the oxygen out of the room, and then she would march across the floor and shut the TV off or change the channel to Sesame Street. We didn't, yeah, we didn't have remote controls in those days. And those were our house rules. Kind of, does anybody relate to that? I know most of you are not that old, but yeah, we... We, we had these kinds of strict house rules. Where this could also pop up was when we were visiting our cousins at Christmas or at the cottage or whatever, and we would play board games. You ever play board games with people at their house or cards? And they always have the weirdest rules, don't they? I'm a, okay, so you have to know me. Some of you know me a little bit. I'm a rule keeper. That's what I do. I like rules. Rules are important. Time is important. Like when I come out here to Portico Milton, and we just kind of start whenever. <laughs> but, but I like starting on time. That's my thing. I was, you saw me. I was sitting down here at 10.10. I was just kind of waiting, twiddling my thumbs. <laughs> right? Yeah, you guys know. 
Well, you're at somebody else's house and you're playing cards or you're playing a board game and they pull out this weird rule like, I've never heard of that before and, and I'm the guy that always goes, where's the box? I, like, I, there's directions here somewhere, I want to know, right? But they like, that's the trump card to end every argument, well, you're at my house, so house rules, so there. Well, we're in a series called Tough Questions and, and uh, interrogating the Christian faith and today we're talking about this question, why are there so many rules? And it's a common objection that, that people ask about Christianity. Maybe you've had someone ask you something like that about, about faith, about Christianity, about, about what you believe. And they say things like, you know, I got no interest in Christianity because I don't need anyone telling me how to live my life. Christianity is just a bunch of stupid rules. And we've all heard that. We've all come across people who feel like, like our faith is just about a bunch of do's and don'ts. And actually, often, they think it's more don'ts than anything else. And I remember a saying I used to hear when I was growing up as a kid. And it was kind of tongue-in-cheek, but there was always this underlying tone of seriousness to it. And it went like this. I don't drink. I don't chew. I don't smoke. And I don't go with girls that do. Anybody ever hear that before? Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls that do, right? And uh, Pastor Doug talked about this a couple of weeks ago over at, you know, the smaller campus, uh, that way too often Christians are known for what we are against rather than what we are for. And so today we want to look at this and, and hopefully come to some understanding about this, but also help you to have some perspective to be able to respond when people ask you why, why are there so many rules? So turn with me in your Bibles, Mark chapter 10, and we're going to look at a, a text here, Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 17. And it says this, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Well, teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him, it says. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have then treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. And so we have this exchange here between Jesus and this wealthy man about the rules. And in their conversation, we, we learn some things about this that will help us as we interact with people around this subject. And right from the get-go, we discover that this man is asking Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus' answer is a very Jewish one, and it gives us some insight into not just religion, as a whole, but inside about life in general, and that is, that is this, first of all, that rules, they are foundational for every facet of life. Rules are foundational for every facet of life. Jesus knows that this man is Jewish and that, and that practicing Jews were big on the rules, and so he plays on that in his response. We look back at verse 19 where he said, you know the commandments. You shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Jesus quoted a few of the better known commandments, and it wasn't that he only wanted this man to obey those particular commandments, but it was a reference to the, the, the laws of God that had been given to Moses and which the Jewish people had observed 
for centuries. And it was Jesus' way of saying, okay, rules are important. Everyone has rules. Everyone has their sort of house rules. We all need them. We all have them. And sometimes they might not make sense. And sometimes they can feel abusive or they can feel unfair or hard to, hard to live up to. But when we don't have them, there can be problems. And so think about this. You have rules wherever you go. There's rules at the pool when you stay at the hotel. No diving. No running. Shower before you swim. I never understood that one. I'm getting in the water. Shower before you swim. No peeing in the pool. Well, you know people are breaking that one, so really you should shower after you swim in the pool, right? Because you know that's happening. There are rules for driving your car. Stay to the right of the yellow line. Don't pass on a solid line. Signal before you turn or change lanes. And then something about speed. I don't know, but, but we have rules. Rules at the fitness club, at the condo association, and at work. Rules, that, rules or laws that govern our country. Nature has rules. Science and mathematics, they all have rules. They, they work on this system. And so all of us, every society, every tribe, every country, every club, every family has rules. And whether we you know, like it or not, they are foundational for every facet of our lives. And most of the time, they give us the, the boundaries that we need in order that we can be safe and respectful of one another and avoid conflict, and generally just kind of stay out of, out of trouble and stay safe. Rules are important. There's something else we pick up in our text about rules as they relate to religion, and that is this. Religions can be guilty of selectively imposing rules. Does that make sense? Religion can be guilty of just kind of being selective about imposing their rules. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 20, the, the man responds to Jesus and he says, Teacher, I, I've kept all those rules. I, I kept all of these since I was a boy. The man was happy and quick to, to tell Jesus, Hey, I'm, I'm a rule keeper. I know these things. I, I know them well. I have stuck to the letter of the law. I'm a good Hebrew. I know the drill. And remember, Jesus was dealing with, with Jewish culture and religion. And in Jewish culture, there were ten commandments that were given to Moses. You may have heard of them along with all kinds of other guidelines for the tabernacle and for feasts and for sacrifices, it was, there was a set of religious rules, religious laws. And from that, the Pharisees managed to come up with 613 rules outside of the Ten Commandments for the Jewish people to follow. It's like, you know, in that 400 years when there were no prophets you know, saying anything from God that they had lots of time on their hands and they came up with all these extra things. And if you look at the list, I actually did some research this week, and you, if you go online and you, and you pull up the, the Jewish laws, 613 of them are there, and they have, a, they have some kind of a scripture reference from the Old Testament for every single one of them. Some of them are a bit of a stretch, but, but they're there, right? And so there's all of these rules, all of these laws, and those 613 don't include the literally hundreds more that are found in the rabbinical teachings of various streams of Judaism over the centuries. And there's some crazy stuff in there. From a, for example, from a commandment about keeping Sabbath holy. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Fast forward over hundreds of years, and Orthodox Jews can't push a button in an elevator on Shabbat 
Why? Because pushing the button causes an electrical spark, and that's equivalent to lighting a fire on Sabbath, which would be like work. That's where they get that. So when you're in Israel, you want to be careful about which elevator you get on when it's Saturday or Shabbat, because there's always one elevator that is for the Orthodox Jews, and it stops at every single floor going up and coming down, just so nobody has to push the button. True story. And I've gotten on those elevators by mistake before. You know how annoyed you get when a kid does this? You know? It, yeah, it's like that every Saturday. There's lots of interesting stuff, like swinging a live chicken around over your head for Yom Kippur. Uh, I don't know. And then uh, not throwing your fingernail clippings on the ground because a pregnant woman might step on them and miscarry. But I digress. There, there's a great illustration about this selective imposing of rules in Scripture. And it's in John chapter 8 where some of the religious leaders, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, bring a woman to Jesus that they have caught in adultery. You ever, you ever hear this story before? It's a great story. They bring this woman, they stand her before Jesus, and they tell him, hey, we caught this woman in the act of adultery, and the law says we're supposed to stone her. What do you say? Now, let's just contemplate this for a minute. Just for, just for a minute. The rule is no adultery or you get stoned. Okay, we understand that. Got it. And they, and they caught her in the act of adultery. Okay, so that's pretty damning evidence, I would say. But I have questions. What the heck are they doing in her house or the hotel room or whatever when she was involved in this act of adultery? And oh yeah, adultery requires another participant. Where was that guy? And so these religious leaders, they're using the rules for their own convenience, selectively imposing this rule on the woman to make a point. Well, why would they do that? For any number of reasons, I suppose. Maybe the man they caught her with was a friend, or a fellow Pharisee even, or at least someone they knew. But, but they let that guy go to avoid the embarrassment for him. Plus, you know, women in their culture were considered things, property, something to be used. And so they made a, a judgment call to selectively impose the rule only on her. That's what religion does. It's symptomatic of what happens in too many religions. Whatever the religion, the spectrum of rules can, can range from one extreme to another, which is why people have so many problems with the rules most of the time. Because they get abused, misused, misinterpreted, and misapplied. And you end up with everything from pacifists to bloody militants who supposedly are a part of the same religion, and that is why religion is such a dangerous thing. And you know what? The, the Christian faith, our religion, is, is no different. We're not, we're not exempt from this. We've seen all kinds of abuses in, in history. And so we have, to, we have to think about this. Is it about religion? No, religion can be guilty of, of selectively imposing the rules. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 23. Verses 1 to 3, he said, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, because they do not practice what they preach. They don't, they don't actually obey their own rules, is what Jesus was saying. And so he's, he's warning. He's warning about the misinterpretation of the rules and about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He actually wasn't... He wasn't dissing the rules, really. 
He was saying, don't follow their example because they're abusing the rules, imposing them on people randomly and, and leveraging them for their own convenience and their own gain. And so Jesus' big problem with all of this was that God's kingdom, uh, you know, God's rules, all of, all of the stuff that we're talking about was never supposed to be about religion. Do you know that God didn't come to start a religion? That's not, why, that's not why God sent Jesus. It wasn't to start a religion. And so there's something else at play here. And so the, the next thing I want us to see is that God's rules, they're designed for your freedom. God's rules are designed for your freedom. One of the biggest you know, pushbacks or objections that people have about the rules is that they say, I want to be able to be free to, to choose what I want to do. They don't like the constraints of the rules. But even some rule keepers haven't figured out what it's all about. Look at the, the wealthy man in our story. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. He said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. You see, God's rules reveal our hearts. God's rules reveal our hearts. This wealthy man was apparently, he was keeping the letter of the law out of a sense of obligation or religion, but, but he was just ticking boxes like the Pharisees. But something else had a hold of his heart. He had money, lots of it. And that was the thing that was driving him apparently because of what Jesus said to him. He was only keeping the rules because he felt like he had to. And he wanted Jesus to tell him, you know, what else he needed to do in order to inherit eternal life. Do you know that that's a lot of our problem today? We, we want to know what we have to do to get into heaven. But God says, you don't have to do anything. Jesus has already done that. You just have to be you know, who I've called you to be. We're, we're human beings, not, not human doings. And so this man was only keeping the rules because he felt like he had to, and he wanted Jesus to tell him. When Jesus told him to sell what he had and give the money to the poor... He wasn't being mean. He was saying something about this man's heart, about his religious attitude and about his spirit and about what actually was was driving him in his life. He was saying that the man needed to choose generosity, that in order to experience true freedom, he needed to be free of his wealth, his greed, and his selfishness. doesn't mean we can't have money. It just means we can't let it control us. And so the difference between Christianity, between God's rules and, and religion is the difference between being forced to comply, that's religion, versus having the freedom to choose. God's given us all the freedom to choose. And so obedience is so that we can achieve the life we were designed to have rather than just to satisfy the demands of God. And God's rules are actually designed for our freedom. We need to discover the restraints that are, that are liberating. And you see, we, we have a problem, and our problem is this. We have, we have a flawed view of freedom. We think that freedom means life without restraint. Is that what you would, you would think freedom is? That's not really what freedom is. It's not life without restraint. We think that that it, means, that it means no boundaries, no rules. But when we think that way, there are a few things that we don't understand. And, and this next little bit, I'm, I just want you to know, I'm paraphrasing some from Tim Keller. You'll read some of this in the book or in the study guide. But Tim Keller says, 
we, we don't understand some things. First, we don't understand the complexity of the human heart. Right? You've heard people say, well, the heart wants what the heart wants, right? The heart wants what the heart wants. Well, that sounds really nice and everything, but here's the problem. The heart wants stuff at the same time that is actually contradictory. Here's an example. I like to eat everything I want. My heart wants to eat whatever I want to eat. But I've just been to the doctor recently because I turned 50. I'm going to the doctor a lot these days, actually, and and, uh, some of it's fun and some of it's not so fun. But anyway, my heart wants to eat whatever I want. But guess what? I also want to be healthy. My heart wants to be healthy, too. Wait a minute, those are two contradictory things. They, they clash with one another. So we have this, we have this view of freedom that says that, that freedom is, is living without restraint, but that's not true. If I really want to be free and get rid of this, I've got I've to do some stuff that's, that, that contradicts some of my other wants that, that my heart wants. So we want to eat what we want, and so there's a problem Freedom can't just be the lack of restrictions. It has to be about finding and practicing the right restrictions so that the greater good can ensue. In this case, limiting and being selective about what I eat helps me to be healthy, allegedly. There's another thing. (laughs) There's another thing that we don't understand when we think freedom is life without restraint. We don't understand the complexity of our motivations. You see, everybody, every single person has some kind of ultimate value, ultimate thing, what often in the Bible is is called an idol. And we believe that if we could just attain that one thing, I I don't know, you know what it is for lots of people, it's things like money, status, power, position, whatever it may be. Then, Then if we could just attain that one thing, then we would be totally free. We could find freedom. And unless that one thing in our life is God, then the object of our pursuit ends up controlling us like the wealthy man that Jesus was talking to. And that's not freedom. When we are free to do whatever we want, when we live life without restraint and we go after that one thing, whatever it is, it's not really freedom because, because it ends up controlling us. And then the last thing, it's a little bit, it's a little bit heady, so I'm going I'm to use a couple of quotes. But we think that freedom is a life without restraint. What we don't understand is, is the intricate fabric of, of reality. The intricate fabric of reality. Tim Keller says there's a pattern, there's a design to reality that must be honored or the fabric tears and unravels. The classic illustration is a fish, and I think we've used this one before from him. A fish has two things that make it perfect in water. Gills that absorb oxygen from the water and and fins that uh, move it through the water, but not on land. The fish must honor its design. It is designed for water, not for land. That's a restriction, if it's, in the, if it's in the wrong environment, it's not able to honor the way it fits into the fabric of things, and so it dies. If it does honor its design, it is free to do all that it was designed to do. You see, what, you see what, where that goes? And so he goes on. He says, real freedom. Real freedom is not doing uh, what we most want to do. Real freedom is knowing which of the things we most want to do is siding with what we were designed for? Real freedom is finding the right restrictions. It's pretty deep. Finding the right restrictions. For example, would you feel freedom 
If you were driving on the road and there were no yellow or white lines, no guardrails, no police officers patrolling, and you knew that there were other drivers on the road with no sense of any kind of guidelines for proper driving, would you feel freedom in that case? No, you would feel pretty unsafe. You would, yeah, you might pull off the road actually because that's not freedom, that's chaos. So we need to find the right restrictions for what we were designed for. You know, we, it, it's, it's very important. If no one knew that you should keep to the right or signal before you turn or stay below a certain speed, you would not feel very confident or safe. That wouldn't feel like freedom, more like bumper cars or smash up derby or something like that. The Ten Commandments, the rules that God gave, were not meant to be restrictive. They were meant to enhance the human experience and to allow us to live out our God-given design. They were, they were all directions for success in our relationships with God and with each other. Following them honors our design and enhances our relational interactions with God and others. You see, real freedom is in finding the right restrictions. That's why we read this in John chapter 8, verses 31 to 32. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? It will set you free. The truth applied to our lives can set us free. Paul said some profound things about this. Galatians 5 and 1. He said it's, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In 1 Corinthians six twelve, he also said, I have the right to do anything. Freedom of choice. You say... But not everything is beneficial. So we can choose things that are not to our benefit and actually can be to our detriment. Not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything, Paul said. He said, I can do whatever I want, but I'm free to choose what is best. To stand firm and to be free in Christ and not allow anything to control me, to master me. Not allow anything to become an idol. And he was talking about the difference between being forced to comply to a set of rules versus having freedom to choose. The truth sets us free when we choose to live by it. Talk to a professional athlete or an Olympic gold medalist or a concert musician. They didn't get to where they are by doing whatever they wanted, by living life without restraints. No, they spent grueling long hours of, of practice, repetitive practice, learning and obeying the rules of a sport or the fundamentals of a musical discipline, honing their skill and knowing their discipline inside and out. They chose the restriction of practice and study and repetition and commitment to their discipline so that one day they would know the freedom of proficiency and success in their careers. Know the sense of accomplishment that, that comes when they are doing what they were designed to do and doing it to the best of their ability. You see how that works? And so in the same way, choosing the right restrictions honors God's rules that are designed for our freedom. And then there's one last thing I want to say about this. God's rules they're always rooted in relationship. They're always rooted in relationship. Jesus said to the wealthy man he was talking to, don't just sell your goods and give the money to the poor. That would be admirable, but there's more. Then come follow me. Mark 10, the last part of verse 21. Then come follow me. God has always been about restoring a relationship. I loved 
in our discussion this week, and, and uh, Keller, I think, on the video this past week said something about this, that, that every other religion is about a, a prophet who is pointing, to way, pointing the way to some God. Only Christianity is about God coming down to mankind and initiating a relationship directly with us. That's the big difference. God's rules are always rooted in relationship. Follow me. From the beginning of time all the way down through history, God has been reaching out to mankind in order to have a relationship with humanity. Adam and Eve were created in the Garden of Eden. And in the evening, God came to walk with them in the cool of the day. They had fellowship with God. But we know the story, how that that broke down. And then eventually, you know, God again spoke to Abraham, made a covenant with him that, that he would be the father of a great nation. And then God called a people to himself, the Israelites. He spoke to Moses, gave him these Ten Commandments that we've been talking about, and he told him to build a tabernacle for his presence so that he could be close to his people. The rules were about relationship. As a matter of fact, if you look very closely at the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, you're going to notice something very interesting. The first five, the first five are about relationship with God. No other gods before me, no idols, no misusing of God's name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And then the last five are about, are about uh, guarding our relationships with others. Honor your parents. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. How many of you know that if we don't do those things, we won't have too many problems in our relationships? If everybody didn't do those things, what a wonderful world this would be. And so the rules are rooted in relationship. And then Jesus came. God in human form. God came down to humanity, and through Jesus, God became a man and moved into the neighborhood. And Jesus came not to get rid of the rules, he said, but to fulfill them, to perfect them. Jesus, in effect, came to remind us about the purpose of the rules. They're not rules just for rules' sake. They are healthy boundaries that keep us from breaking, destroying our relationships with God and others. And when Jesus was asked this question, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? This was his reply. Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And there it is, God and my neighbor. If I love them both, I won't do anything to harm those relationships. And therefore, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, which are rooted in relationship. Jesus never came to impose rules. He came to help us understand what the rules are for and to call us higher. To call us higher. Rules are not at the center of the Christian life. Jesus is at the center. Jesus is at the center. And a relationship with Jesus, it's not about ticking boxes. It's not about just obeying the rules. It's about loving God and about loving each other. And if we are truly doing that, if we are truly trying to do that, then we will, we will be to the best of our ability obeying the rules with no issue at all. Jesus' invitation to everyone, skeptics and, skeptics and seekers alike, even those who push back against the rules is this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, keeping the rules, it's not enough. There's nothing we can do in our own strength to make God love us 
any more than he already does. We can't earn his love. We can't earn his approval by keeping the rules. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. The beauty of grace is that when we mess up, when we either intentionally or unintentionally break the rules, and, and guess what? We do. Because it's, it's hard to keep all the rules. But when we do that, Jesus reminds us it's okay because he took the blame for our sin on the cross. And all that we need to do is come to him, say we're sorry, and begin again. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Learning how to truly love God and love others will help us to choose to follow the right rules so that we can really know what freedom is all about. But true freedom, folks, true freedom is laying it all on Jesus and saying, you know what, God, I'm not quite sure I've got this all figured out yet, but I know that, I know that Jesus died for me. I know that he came so that, so that when I mess up, my, my sin, my, my breaking of the rules would be forgiven. And so all I can do is my very best. And that's what Jesus calls us to. Take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My burden is light. My rules are designed so that you can be, so that you can live free. Father God, we thank you today for your love for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that that maybe we can understand just a little bit better, you know, why there are so many rules. God, you didn't do, you didn't create those because you were mean and you wanted to make us do the stuff you wanted us to do. You put them in place so that we could truly live lives in freedom so that we could be free to choose the right things to do so that, God, our relationship with you and with other people would, would, be, would be enhanced, would be, would be benefited because of the choices that we make. And so, God, I pray for everyone here today. God, I pray for, for people who know you, who, who have been struggling, God, because they thought it was about keeping the rules. They thought it was about doing everything right. And I pray, God, that you'll help them to understand today that what it's really about is, is loving Jesus. It's about, it's about a relationship with God, and it's about our relationship with other people. And God, doing, doing and living the way you designed us to live. And then, Lord, I pray for people who might be here today who have never said yes to you, have never God expressed faith. Maybe one of the things that, that held them back was the fact that there are so many rules. But Lord, I pray today that you will help them to understand that it's not about the rules. It's about Jesus. It's about the fact that God loves them, that he cares enough about them to put these healthy boundaries in place, that he cared so much about them that he sent his own son, that you sent your own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that they could be they could be free, that they could live in freedom. God, not worrying about works, about anything else. It's not by works, you said. It's, it's grace that sets us free. And Lord, you gave your life so that we could understand that. Lord, that if we just have faith in you, that your grace allows us to become a part of your family. And that God, in that context, Lord, we can make the right choices to truly live in freedom. So, Father, I ask that uh, if there's anyone here today that never said yes to you, that you would, God, help them just right where they are to quietly say just a little prayer and say, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life. I I want to say yes to you today. 
Forgive me of the wrong things I've done and God help me to live the way that you want me to live, to make, to make good choices for my life. And Lord, I know that as they pray just that simple little prayer, just whisper it where they are, that God, you're going to meet with them. And Father, I, I thank you for that today in Jesus' name. And Lord, for the fact that no matter how many of us are on this journey and how often we mess up, that God, your love always reaches out to us, that God, your love never fails and that you never give up on us. And so we thank you and we give you praise today in Jesus' name. Amen. Seems like lots of Sundays you'll come to church and hear a message on doing the right thing or giving money, right? And too many people experience churches. I I just feel guilty when I come to church because I I can't do what they're asking me to do and I can't make God happy. You know what I love about this message about sin and doing the right thing is that it's not about making God happy. (laughs) It's about making... The rules were designed to make us happy, actually. (laughs) Jesus came, died for us, and did everything we ever needed to do to make God happy for it. We just had to say, yeah, I, I, I believe in him, and then we make God happy, and we're in a right relationship with him. It's a, all this, all this stuff that we strive to do these things that we read in the Bible because God wants us to have the happiest life, the best life we could ever have. And so, you know, as I was sitting there in the front row just listening to, to Pastor Jeff and just thinking during, during the music think, uh, that we're responding and just thinking, you know, the times that I actually get dissatisfied, the times that I'm actually down are the times that I figure, <laughs> the times that I go outside of what is best for me. When I start pushing the edge and say, I want to try this, I want to, when I get outside of what's best for me, that's the time that I actually get down the lowest. So I just want to pray a blessing over, over us this morning and just over maybe somebody in the room that's, that's feeling, you know, I, I just don't want to do this church thing anymore because I, here I am again hearing about rules and just that God God speak to you today that I've got something better for you. Just give it a try. <laughs> so that's what I want to pray for you for. So Lord, I pray for all of us here, and especially those of us who, who are sensing maybe on the edge of, I've been trying to do the right thing, and you're not happy with me because look at my life. And God, that's not what it's about. We, we don't do good things so that you're happy, so that you give us a better life. Mm-mm. We do good things so that we can f- have a fulfilling life. Absolutely greater than we could ever achieve by trying to do it our own way. And I pray for those people right now, God. Do something in their heart. Speak to their heart. Holy Spirit, just give the reassurance that you have something better if we would try it with everything inside of us, with our full hearts, with our greatest effort to live for you. And help us to know that there's never guilt when we come to you. There's, your word is so clear. There is no condemnation or guilt for those who are found believing in Christ Jesus. So we're not guilty when we mess up, Lord. We just try again (laughs) so that we would have the life that you designed for us. Thank you for an encouragement out of your word this morning just uh, to help us to live the life that you've called us to. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.